If there's one thing we need in the year 2020, it's a little peace of mind. And if you ask Jay Shetty, the way we achieve that is simple. Just think like a monk. After spending three years studying Hindu monks in India, Shetty has put their teachings to work, building a massive social media following dedicated to self-reflection and personal growth. In this episode of Influencers, I speak with Jay about his path toward happiness, why he traded his suit and tie for robes, and how he discovered his true calling in the media business. Hello, everyone. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to Influencers, and welcome to our guest, Jay Shetty, motivational speaker, podcast host, and author of the new book, Think Like a Monk. Jay, great to see you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So, wow, that's a provocative title about your book. I want to ask about that. But first of all, you have a career um, that uses social media. And so I, I want to ask you, you know, how do you navigate that? How do you decide what to use, what social media platforms work best for the work that you like to do? Well, I think the biggest thing, first of all, is where you can build community. That's the most important thing because everyone's always talking about what the latest trend is or what the best platform to be on is. And to me, it's not really that. To me, it's where you as an individual, as a creator, as a mind can find your audience. And so for some people, it's going to be Facebook. For some people, it's going to be LinkedIn. For some people, it's going to be TikTok, like it is right now. But I think the biggest mistake creators can make is that they rush to a platform because it's trending, but they don't realize how to communicate with their audience or community on that platform. And so for me, it's not really about which platform is it. It's about where is your audience and how can you serve them best. So how did you discover that and what platforms are you biggest on? Yeah, for me, it was initially just creating content for every platform. And so like everyone that I knew, I started creating content for YouTube. But I really saw my content take off on Facebook in 2018. And in 2019, my content really took off on Instagram. So for me, Facebook and Instagram have been my most prominent platforms where I've really seen my community uh, get behind me and engage with my content. And I've absolutely loved engaging with them on both because Facebook's allowed me, of course, to go live. Instagram's allowed the same. I love the fact that the stories feature allows me to communicate on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm able to share a story of what I'm doing right now with people and get an instant reaction. So for me, those have been my two most prominent platforms. Your career is kind of a new one. Maybe it didn't even exist 30 <laughs> years ago or maybe even 10 years ago. How would you explain maybe to a 75-year-old aunt or, or a six-year-old <laughs> niece what you do for a living or what do you do for work? Yeah, I struggle with that. Like uh -huh. that's one of the hardest things in the world. My, my mom can't explain to any of her friends what I do. My wife struggles to explain what I do mm -hmm. to her family. So, so I, it's, it's a real one. Mm -hmm. I think the best way to explain it is we are creators and storytellers. That's how I decided. I'm a creator and a storyteller who shares their work and messages and advice and insight through social media. Right. Uh, of course, that's changed now. I'm a podcast host, so I'm able to interview guests. So I think it's hard, even the podcast space, I mean, it's been around for a while. At the same time, it's new, and people find it hard to wrap their head around. Oh, so you have a show? 
where do I watch it? Is it on TV? It's like, no, it's on YouTube. And so I think for me, that's, that's always been one of the biggest challenges. But I've made it very simple by saying I'm a storyteller and I'm a video creator. Right. And that to me, it's not actually bound by platform. I don't see myself as just a social media creator because we make so much digital content. Do you feel like you're a person, though, also that helps people achieve their goals or discover their true selves, that kind of thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. So in the last two years, I've had over 2 million students complete one of my free online courses. Mm. So I started to see that when I was making these videos that were four minutes long, people had so many questions and people had so many things that they were confused about or uncertain about, whether it was finding their passion or understanding their purpose or knowing which skills were going to help in their careers or their relationships. So I started to put together these one-hour training programs. And literally in the last two years, we've had over 2 million people complete one of them. And that's a phenomenal feeling because now we're able to help people learn, grow, and think even after they've finished college. I think for a long time, we used to believe that once you completed college, you didn't do learning anymore. And now I think people are getting fascinated by how they can keep that journey going for themselves. What mistakes, Jay, do people make when they're trying to figure out what to do in life? <laughs> I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we get locked in a particular path and we start thinking it's too late to do something. Mm. And I remember being in that path where I was in the world of business and being completely engrossed in that space. And I was working at an incredible company called Accenture. And I was there and I was really doing extremely well, but I was feeling like I had a different purpose. And I was feeling like I had more to do. And I was 28 years old and I was inquiring. Pretty good with, job, right? At it was a great job, yeah, it was old. a great job. And I was inquiring mm. with lots of people in media because I really thought media was where my future was at. And I mm. applied to 10 media companies in London that rejected me before an interview because they said, Jay, you have no communications background, you have no media background, you have no hosting background, you have no videography or editing background, you have no idea what media is mm. because I didn't study media. So I was rejected from those. I then inquired to three big media execs in mm. London, which I networked with and tried to find my way through. And the responses I got is go and study media. You're too old to be in media. Everyone who wants your job is 21. You're, you're too old. You're 28 years old. And oh, there's no money in media. So you might as well just start a blog or something like that. So it was one of those moments where I've heard of all of these things too. So I think the biggest mistake we make is we think it's too late. We think we're too old. We think we're set in our ways. And none of those are true. Some of the most successful people in the world started at 40, started at 50, started at 60. And you don't have to ever count yourself out. But how do you, how do you make that break? I mean, it's so hard. You know, people get caught up at big companies and they maybe have these ideas and these dreams. But then to actually say, walk in your boss and say, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, right? Yeah, and you don't have to have that conversation. I, I really recommend that your evenings and weekends dictate what your values are. So if on your evenings and weekends, you're watching Netflix or going to Coachella or whatever it is, mm -hmm. then you're basically saying that you're gonna stay with that job and you want a lifestyle. And there's nothing wrong with that. I respect that, I appreciate that. But if you're one of these people, and I know myself and many of the people that I've worked with and people outside in the world that I hear their stories, their weekends are dedicated to the world they want to create. Their evenings are dedicated. So at one point in time, I used to take five days a week, five hours a day to edit a five minute video. And that's really bad odds for anyone who's into editing. But I did that because I was teaching myself the process. And that to me was the journey and this point where I realized that this could be something else. And I think that's the mistake we make is that we don't 
expose ourselves to enough ideas to what our passion could be. So how many of us are going to workshops, going to seminars, reading books, uh, men getting mentorship, shadowing someone that we're fascinated by? The more we do that, the more confidence you get that this is still possible for you. But I would recommend to people that your weekends and your evenings show your values. That's the time you need to dedicate to build that. You don't need to quit your job tomorrow. But you got to want it. I mean, because yeah. so many of us are exhausted. And at the end of the day, we just go home and like Netflix. Well, that's the best test. Right? The best test is... Are you energized? Because I, I guarantee you, if it's your passion and you're tired after your work day, I used to finish at Accenture at 8, 9 p.m. Yeah. I would start editing at 9 p.m. and finish at 2 a.m., then wake up at 7 a.m. and go back to work. But it never tired me because I was energized by the process of what I was creating. And that's really the test. Like That's really the big question. If it's really your passion, if it's really your purpose, if you're really about it, then it will energize you as opposed to drain you. And so for me, if I get home at 9 p.m. and I have to make a video, I'm energized. If I have to get home at 9 p.m. and work right. on a spreadsheet, I'm gonna be drained. Right, right, and so right. that's the question mark is, if it's energizing you, then, then that's real. And you talked about growing up in London yes. and having a traditional background, traditional household. What was it that made you sort of break loose? I mean, and, and talk about your youth and your experiences there. Yeah, absolutely. So I was bullied as a kid and I was overweight in my early years and then up to teenage years. And for me, growing up in a traditional household, I would just honestly feel things going against me in the sense of my intuition at the time. I didn't know it was called intuition. It was just what I felt like. In my heart of hearts, I would be like, oh, I really love like my favorite three subjects growing up were economics, art and design and philosophy which funny enough is my life right now. Like that is exactly what I do. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I am fascinated by art and design and I speak about philosophy. So right. it, it's a very close fit to what I do now. And those were the subjects that I was fascinated by as a young adult. And every time I would hear the pressure to be good at just math or be good at uh, the sciences or be good at biology and chemistry and physics and be good at law or be good at medicine for me it just didn't feel right and i think everyone knows what that feels like i think you know when you hear something or someone's advice and you're like that doesn't sit with me and so for me when i was 14 i just really started rebelling against my parents and just saying to them i'm not going to do that what did i read that they said you're either a doctor a lawyer or a failure yeah absolutely yeah right? so i yeah i often joke about that like those were my three options in life to be a doctor a lawyer or a failure because all my cousins were doctors right. and i'm really happy for them but it just right. never felt right to me and i think <clears throat> this is one of the biggest points of intuition that we miss out on today is you're being guided by your discomfort when you hear something or when you're asked to follow a certain path don't carry on when it feels uncomfortable. Right. If it feels uncomfortable, it feels uncomfortable for a reason. It's like, if this chair felt uncomfortable right now, I would change my position. Right. So if a feeling feels uncomfortable, you can change that feeling by changing what you're focusing on. But I think so many of us just sit with that discomfort until that discomfort leads to depression or that discomfort leads to a real challenge that's much harder to deal with. Yeah. All right, what about this monk stuff? Here? Think <laughs> like a monk yeah. and the philosophy you're talking about. Yeah, Tell absolutely. us about that journey. Yeah, for sure. So the reason why I wrote this book right now is I think we're living at a time that's full of chaos, full of uncertainty, full of anxiety, and full of pressure. I don't think there's anyone in the world who tells me that they're not experiencing stress or pressure of some sort. And I think we've got to a point where we realize that that anxiety or pressure is not going to be solved by something outside of us. 
Now, when I lived as a monk and I then went on to study the brains and minds of monks, I found that monks have the happiest and calmest brains in the world. They show spikes in gamma waves that actually prove the highest forms of attention, happiness, learning, and calm. Mm -hmm. So my, my proposition to everyone who's listening and watching right now is, why wouldn't you want to think like a monk? If you were able to be in a world full of chaos, but find calm, if you were able to be in the most stressful scenarios, but know how to strategize your way to success, I think everyone would want to do that. And so for me, the journey came about when I met a monk for the first time when I was 18. Now, this is something else I speak about is today I don't feel we're exposed to enough different types of role models. I feel we're exposed to the same types of people. You look at the Forbes rich list, you look at the uh, finance list, you look at the times list, whatever it is, you're looking at the same names doing the same types of stuff. We rarely are exposed to someone doing something radically different from our lives. Right. And I actually think that's where we miss out because the world's such a big place and now we have access to everything. And so for me, when I met a monk, he opened my eyes to a philosophy and a methodology and a process that I would never have uncovered in my everyday life. What kind of monk was it? What? So he was a Hindu monk. A Hindu monk. A Hindu monk. And so did you end up studying with this monk? Yeah, so I spent every, every after meeting him, mm -hmm. I spent every single one of my summer vacations, mm -hmm. half of them I'd spend interning at corporate companies in London, mm -hmm. and the other half I'd spend living as a monk in India. Wow. So literally I would go from the polar opposites, I would go yeah. from steakhouses and bars right. to sleeping on the floor and meditating for four to eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. And that dichotomy works? That A-B testing, right. that's what it is. It's right. just an A-B test. Yeah. That is, and that's what I think our teens and 20s are for and right. our life is for. Like, are we testing enough? Like when I tested those two very polar opposite lives, I found which one I wanted to follow. And so for me, when I graduated, I decided to become a monk because I was aware of, the, aware of both lives. And practically speaking, Jay, what does that mean to think, like a monk, does that mean doing uh, meditation for a couple hours a day? What, what can you actually do to accomplish that? Yeah, absolutely. Thinking like a monk means going to the root of everything. So I believe today we deal with a lot of superficials. We deal with a lot of symptoms. We're not good at dealing with the root of our anxiety, the root of our fear, the root of our challenges, the root of our purpose. We're not aware. And so thinking like a monk means being able to dive to the root. A bit of that rests in what's called a question meditation. So we often think of meditations or things as just like calming the mind and stilling. But actually meditation and question meditations particularly are great at revealing stuff about ourselves. In the book, Think Like a Monk, I talk about something called the why ladder. So my belief is if you want to find out the answer to here, you've got to ask why so you can build a step-by-step -step process. So half the time I just ask the people, like, so people, so I'm like, what do you do to someone? And they say, I work as an accountant. So I'm like, why are you an accountant? They're like, well, I don't know. Like, it was the easiest thing to study. Okay, well, why was it the easiest thing to study? Oh, because my parents did it. Okay, well, why do you think you did it? Because your parents did it. You know, and when you start answering that, you get to the root. You know what's so funny? That kind of reminds me, you know, Little kids go through that phase, like, why? Yes. Why? Yes. Why? They kind yeah. of drive their parents crazy. But, you know, if you think about it, a lot of times we're not asking that question anymore at all. We go Correct. from, like, asking it too much to zero. You're so right. All we ask is, what do you do? Right. Any right. networking event, yeah. any business event. Yeah. And we lose that childlike, not right. childish sense, right. but childlike yeah. sense of curiosity. Right. And so for me, thinking like a monk is being curious. I think, I believe that thinking like a monk is... Giving the pressure, and I, I talk about it in three areas here. I call about let go, 
grow and give. Right. These are the three aspects of thinking like a monk. Can you let go of all the baggage, the fears, and the anxiety? Can you grow and deepen your self-awareness? And can you give? Do you want to be a part of making the world a better place? Those right. are the three components of thinking like a monk. Let me shift gears a little bit, Jay, yeah. and ask you about uh, Facebook because it's a big deal for your career and your life. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people have been critical of Facebook recently mm -hmm. for a number of reasons, of spreading false information, um, stifling voices on the one hand. Um, what is your take? Do the, does the platform have issues? And then how do you navigate that? Yeah, I believe the biggest thing with, with social media as a whole or any media is first we have to take responsibility for what we're deciding to get involved in. So unfortunately, none of us ever read the terms and conditions. None of us ever take the time. I mean, and we do this everywhere. We don't just do this on social media. We do this on our phones. We just go, accept. Right. We do this with every Wi-Fi connection you've ever made in a hotel, a coffee shop, a restaurant, wherever you've been, you've never read the terms and conditions. So first of all, I think we, and, and this may be unpopular, but it's true. I think we have to take responsibility for what we get involved in as a first place. So read your T's and C's, be really aware, be really conscious of what you're signing up for. Second of all, be really selective about where you get your news and information. I think we, I, I'm all about personal responsibility. I think we have to become the people that decide, this is what my news feed is. This is what I read, this is where I learn from. And when you take that initiative, you're now no longer ever being dictated by what anyone else may want. So you're actually protecting yourself. And I think this is a really important message for everyone and everything. It's like when you go out on the streets today, you're gonna to be bombarded by a million marketing messages trying to sell you something. But if you've decided what your values are and what you want to buy and what you don't and what you sign up for, you're now safe despite all the messages that are coming around you. Does Facebook have more of a responsibility to get people to take those steps? I, I believe every platform has a responsibility to do that. And I just think that those are not in my control. And in Think Like Among, I'm constantly focusing on what can I control? Right, right, I can't, I don't own these platforms. I don't, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't own these platforms. They're not my remit. I'm not, I'm not the CEO of these platforms. If I was, I would take certain measures. But for me, I know for a fact that I can control the content I create. I can control right. the messages I put out. And that's where I start. As a Brit, I want to ask you yes. uh, your take on Brexit and <laughs> what's going on in the UK. What do you think? Well, I've become far more, it's, it's been an interesting perspective. Obviously, I left the year that Britain voted for Brexit. Not, not because of that, but uh, mm -hmm. I left in 2016. Uh, I just think the world as a whole today is going through a real identity crisis and identity search. <clears throat> and I think the good thing that's coming out of it is I think we're having more conversations. And I'm always an optimist. I'm always trying to see the positive in it. And for me, I just like that we're now encouraging more diverse conversations. I think we're getting involved in conversations we've never had before. I think a lot of stuff that's been swept under the carpet is now coming to the fore. So I'm just a proponent for let's use this as a mode to connect with each other. Let's use this as a mode of conversation for each other. And you talked about going to India, and obviously there's a lot going on there as well with President yeah. Modi and nationalism and unrest there. Is that something that you think he's got a good grasp on? Well, I'm not, you know, my, my honest answer is I'm not so political. It's, mm -hmm. it's not really where my expertise and energy lies. It's not really where I use my time and my mind space. So I think my biggest re re response to that is just 
again, how, how, can, how can we be the change? As, mm-hmm. as cheesy and cliche as it sounds, right. it's real because I think we have to take responsibility for what we want to see in our countries, our cities, our communities, and, and our areas. And I think, I think when things are externally good, we get complacent. Right. We sit back and we go, oh, it's all good. We don't need to worry. And in times like this, everyone's activated. Right. And I love that. I love seeing activism. I love seeing people get passionate about the changes they want to see. And I think that's what this does. When we're in this scenario where we're unhappy with what's happening with the establishment or we're unhappy with what leaders are doing, we start realizing that we need to step up. And what about coming to the United States? Uh, you say you're living in L.A. these days. A great experience, negative experience. How do you feel being in America place you want to make your home? Yeah, I've been living here now for four years. The states have been absolutely incredible to me. The people have been incredible to me. My purpose has been realized by living here. So I'm a big advocate of anyone uh, living the American dream or, or wanting to pursue that. I've, I felt very encouraged and happy here. I've, I've only had an incredible response from the people of the United States. So it's been great for me. And, and I'm hoping that I can help really energized and emphasized to so many people that they can also go and live their passion and purpose here too. And, and how did you choose LA? Is, is there a community of influencers there or what, what's the story? Yeah, so I actually moved to New York. I used to work from this very building that we're right. in right yeah. now, thanks to Ariana Huffington in 2016. Work for the Huffington Post Absolutely. and now HuffPost. Right? Absolutely. So I was here when Ariana was just finishing off before she went to Thrive Global. I was here in 2016. And then I moved to LA in 2018. And the reason was you're absolutely right. The content world really lives out there in LA. There are so many incredible creators, so many incredible influencers, so many people with the best ideas on how to transform people through content. And so I wanted to be in that hub of creativity and insightful minds. And I've definitely found that in LA. Who are some of your favorite interview subjects for your podcast? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably one of my favorite, I was very fortunate to have interviewed Kobe Bryant. And I'm really grateful. I didn't know him, but I had the opportunity to meet him and interview him. And he was just an incredible gentleman. He was amazing to my whole team. He was so grounded in the interview. When I was speaking to him, he had such an aura about him of, of calmness. And, and I felt it on that day. And I talked about this before as well. But what I was really fascinated with him is that he was told no so many times in his really? life after his basketball career. And what was even more beautiful is he talked about how he was so peaceful as a retired athlete. And I thought, wow, like that takes a real sense of knowing yourself. And so he was one of my most fascinating guests. Another incredible guest has been Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio was a, a phenomenal guest. We talked about his book, Principles. And what I, what I admired about Ray, and I was sharing this with someone yesterday as well, is that you know Ray's worth like $20 billion or something like that. And he's one of the most grounded, humble people I've ever met. And he, he at no point made anyone feel his stature. He was just so down to earth, able to answer questions. And we talked about how he practiced meditation for decades. Meditation has been such a deep part of his life. And that's what I found when I'm speaking to successful, influential people. 80 to 90% of them, I remember Tim Ferriss telling me this, 80 to 90% of the most successful people in the world practice a meditation practice. And I think we underestimate how many of these people that we admire and we don't realize Kobe Bryant had a meditation practice. LeBron James has a meditation practice. We're just so unaware of what is hidden behind these people. And that's what I love extrapolating in my interviews with them is finding out where's that monk mindset 
in all of these incredible individuals and it's there. They're already thinking like monks. Are, are there really other common threads between, you know, you're talking to people like business people, athletes, people in the entertainment business, I'm sure, that you've been able to identify? Yeah, the patterns that of, of success. Yeah. So meditation is definitely one of them. Right. Uh, the other one is being really perseverant, like persistence. Saying, being able to accept no's and rejections and failures is the biggest factor. And I think so many of us get tired by hearing a couple of no's or we get upset by hearing a couple of no's or a couple of rejections just throw us off our path. These people have been rejected a million times and are ready to be rejected a million times over. Another trend and pattern that I've definitely seen is their dedication to service. All of these people are trying to live for a purpose greater than themselves in some way. Whether they're trying to make movies to improve diversity and representation, whether they're trying to build businesses that give a lot in charity, whether they're trying to write documentaries or movies that shift our conversation around LGBTQ, all of these people are living for a purpose higher than themselves. They're not just going out there to make it. They're going out there to make a difference. And I think that's such a powerful message. Everyone talks about the media business being disrupted right now with you know, the digital revolution finally really hitting Hollywood. Where do you see all this going in terms of not only the business, but maybe specifically your career? I mean, do you, on the one hand, want to go into mainstream movies, which still exists, or are you happy just being a digital guy? Well, I think it's both. I, th I think we're living at a time where we no longer have to define ourselves. Like you asked me earlier about how do you define what you do? I, I don't think I have to anymore. And I think that's the beauty of the world that we live in today is that you can take your talent, you can create a community and an audience, and then you can grow into any space. So we've seen incredible digital creators. My really good friend, Lily Singh, who has a late night TV show. Uh, we've seen digital creators going to mainstream ads and TV. We, we've seen this explosion. And for me, the key is being able to use my strengths and skills in ways that they can be useful. So for me, it's whatever comes with that. So when I started out, I never knew what was going to happen. I never knew how far this was going to get. But now that it has, you know, gratefully grown into what it is today, I don't write myself off from anything. You know, we've gone from having the most watched reviewed videos on the internet to having one of the most successful podcasts in the world to now launching a book. To me, it's constantly about challenging myself to serve people more. And Jay, so you talked about maybe having some mentors. Are you starting to mentor younger people yourself now? Yeah, absolutely. I think mentorship is, is the greatest gift that you can give to someone and the greatest gift you can receive. I've had some incredible mentors, whether it was Ariana Huffington, whether it's a gentleman named Thomas Power back in London, whether it's my spiritual mentors in my life right now, my monk mentors that I spend a lot of time with every year. Being a mentor for me is a beautiful way to give back. And I'm, I'm always happy through all my content, through my coaching programs, through my courses, to be continually trying to serve others and help them. Because I feel like if you don't give it away, you don't get new ideas. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't feel that fresh burst of enthusiasm. When you see someone learning something for the first time, that's the best feeling in the world. It reminds you of your first time. And so I feel it's so important to refeel that. And I think if you're feeling any lack in your life, if you're feeling any space or gap in your life, I would encourage everyone to mentor in some area of their life that they have 
gain some insight. And remember, being a mentor doesn't mean being an expert. It doesn't mean that you've got it all sorted. It just means that you can give someone a five years head start on what they're about to experience. Final question, Jay. Yeah. What is the older Jay Shetty going to look like? Do you have <laughs> goals? Do you know what you're going to be when you're 70 or what you hope to accomplish? Well, look like there was the app that let us fast forward. <laughs> right, through, right, uh, yeah. I forgot what it was I'll called now. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. You know, if, I am someone who genuinely believes that the journey and path that I'm on, I'm going to be surprised by where I am when I'm 70. And I'm excited by that. I don't even know. I just know that I'm going to be surprised. I'm going to be delighted. Mm -hmm. And my main focus is that I have no regrets. So at 70, I, I hope I can look back and think that I lived a life of service, that I helped as many people realize that they were already thinking like monks or that thinking like a monk would help them. And that I'm able to help people in, in as many areas of their lives as I possibly can. And I think if I've done that, then I'll be, I'll be happy with that. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to be surprised. I want to be surprised <laughs> right. when I'm 70. Why would I want to know? I think life is so fun, uh, as Steve Jobs says, lived forward but connected backwards. And, and I'm excited to live it forward. I live in the moment. I, I don't make plans for over 12 months. I don't believe it's worth it. The industry changes, media changes. The world changes so quickly. I think making plans for longer than that isn't necessarily the best use of your time. And I, I genuinely love living in the moment. Interesting stuff. Awesome. Jay Shetty. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Among other things, author of the new book, Think Like a Monk. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. I'm Andy Serwer. You've been watching Influencers. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.